Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of CPA Review and More. We are pleased to bring you the number one podcast for CPAs and CPA candidates. If you'd like to learn more about how Jaeger CPA Review can help you, find us on our website at JaegerCPAReview.com. Now, here's your host, Phil Jaeger. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Phil Yeager's podcast, CPA Review and More. We are not talking about CPA Review today. We're talking about more. And we have a very interesting guest who I'll introduce momentarily. But let me just mention something if I can. I have mentioned many, many times that my wife, she has Parkinson's disease. And the only way they can do the research to find out what is causing this. It's a genetic problem, obviously. But the organization that really does research, besides the Parkinson's Foundation themselves, is the Michael J. Fox Parkinson's Foundation. So I ask you, if you would, go to Michael J. Fox Parkinson's Foundation. And for those who don't know who Michael J. Fox is, he was in those Back to the Future movies. And I believe he got Parkinson when he was very young, like 28, 29. You know, he's a real advocate, raises a lot of money, and thank God there are people like him out there that actually help the organization. And they even come up occasionally with new medications. So we were told a few years ago that they were pretty close to finding maybe a cure or what would prevent it, but that didn't happen. But they're still doing research, although my wife doesn't think so. Hopefully, they'll find some type of cure during her lifetime. They've done a lot with it. With that, let me welcome you again. I have with me my guests. We get guests from the United States, but usually from out of the country, no, all right? I think you're the third gentleman, Shadrach, who has yes. actually been outside of the US. We actually did one for someone who was in Scotland. She was a guest speaker there. And I'm trying to remember the other place we went to. But anyway, Shadrach lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. And this man, I mean, telling you, I can't keep up with him. All right. He is a co-founder of the Carnet blockchain. We'll talk about that in a second. And do you know you're in the top 1% post engagement? What does that mean? That means that across LinkedIn's 800 million member community globally, I'm in the 1% in terms of when I put thoughts out there, leadership inputs, I'm among the 1% engagement, meaning my posts and uh, updates are engaged in the 1% of the 800 million. So how many people after you put some type of, I guess you write something in LinkedIn? Yes, articles and posts. We are seeing about 500,000 a month actually interact. Really? And, and yes, that's the type of traffic I'm seeing to my, to my desk, to my digital desk. Wow, wow. I, if I get 500 a month, I'm happy. Uh, but all of that, unbelievable, this man. He's probably, and most people don't know this, he's the number one snappy dresser in Johannesburg, South Africa. I said to so him, uh, are you going out to play golf today? I mean, it really looks good. I like that color. Anyway, uh, you have, how many viewers do you have on LinkedIn, by the way? Uh, uh, that follow me, it's, it's approaching 33,000 now. It's approaching 33,000. 33,000. Yes, and also with my co-founder, we're approaching 60, 62, 63,000 together. Okay. We'll talk about who follows you, but let's talk about what you do, basically. Yes. You are the co-founder of the Carnet Blockchain. 
Can you explain that to us in simple English? <laughs> okay. Of course. Go ahead. Uh, definitely. So my traditional background is actually in management consulting. And having served some time in corporate beyond my village days, I was born in a village. Beyond corporate, with my last role being with Deloitte, I then segued into management consulting. What does that mean? It meant that at my desk with my team, we had small, medium enterprises come to us, including multinationals that sought to understand Africa when it comes to bringing products to market, projects to scale. So that's how I ended up in the blockchain uh, sector because we scaled one entity that I will unpack later that led to a bit of traction and IBM actually gave us two funding tranches during COVID for us to do this one thing, to repair and rethink Africa's supply chains using blockchain. Does that mean that whatever comes into the country, you pay for by blockchain? Is that what you pay for it? Explain to me how blockchain gets involved with you and your country. Absolutely. So what that means is that uh, for the benefit of the viewers and the listeners, traditionally, blockchain's early use case, being Bitcoin, being more in finance and what they call cryptocurrency, now beyond crypto and beyond the early days of blockchain, now blockchain is, is moving into mainstream. What we are seeing is that now blockchain, which I'll unpack a bit on how that works, is now being utilized in use cases in supply chains, in land registry, in food tracking and tracing. So how that relates to me and the continent of Africa is that for the benefit of the audiences, last year in January, there is a free trade agreement that was signed on the continent of Africa by 54 nations, including my home country, South Africa. That, that meant that the, the nations wanted to trade more with each other to increase the trade levels from the dismal 13, 14% to a 450 billion US dollar in about 2030, 2035. Where does blockchain come in? Remember I said that beyond finance, blockchain is very much involved in ensuring tracking and tracing of goods, of assets across a ledger. So the, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement is not really possible to be implemented fully without blockchain. So what we are seeing now is through Coronet Blockchain, we are among the front runners at the front line to ensure that African goods that are made in Africa, that are sold in Africa across different sectors, they are one by one being moved into the blockchain, meaning across the supply chain from the raw material to the processors, brokers, distributors, and the finished product, they are looking at the same ledger. They don't exist in silos anymore because silos is bad for business, is bad for transparency. Are you saying that any good services now in your country, we think about blockchain here, we're talking about cryptocurrency, which is now traded on you show it actually if you watch any of the finance shows like cnbc they now yeah. show of course the dow industrial average they show yeah. the nasdaq the s p yeah. and also they now show cryptocurrency you're using correct me if i'm wrong you're using cryptocurrency to buy goods that come into your country is that what you're doing that's a good question and i would say that whilst cryptocurrency is being used to trade or exchange goods uh, that actually saw, just in Africa, to give uh, the, the, the viewers and the listeners some insight, last year, Africa was the second 
uh, highest uh, volumes in terms of crypto transactions in the world outside of the US. I think we're looking at about 105 billion US dollars where goods were traded and, and, and just money exchanges. But that's a one side of the blockchain. My firm, Corona Blockchain, exists more on the non-crypto side of the equation where we are using what's referred to as distributed ledger technologies in order to evolve supply chains from their siloed environment into more inclusive where everybody can look at the same ledger if this item here is moving across that ledger everyone sees it so cryptocurrencies are the uh, currency implementation of blockchain we are looking at the the trade of goods and the exchange of goods to ensure provenance from origin to end user to ensure quality consistency quality assuring and verification that's our use case in blockchain where we are, let's say we are cleaning up Africa's supply chains to ensure that some housekeeping and trust is restored to those supply chains. Can you give an example? Yes, I'll definitely, I'll definitely give an example. I'm, I'm sure that our mainly American audiences, they enjoy a cup of coffee, be it Starbucks, be it other uh, coffee houses or coffee brands. What they may not be aware of is what is the origin of that coffee? That's the first example I'm going to give. Number two, our American neighbors whom we love, they probably are quite used to, I think America is the largest ice cream consumption destination. What they may not be aware of is where does the raw vanilla pulps, where do they come from? Whether for ice cream or for baking. I'm gonna touch on that. The last but not least example I would touch on is uh, what do you call it uh, raw cocoa where does raw cocoa come from in order to evolve into either belgian chocolate or any chocolate whatsoever now coming back to africa and blockchain the east africa coffee belt is what we call it ethiopia tanzania uganda among others is among the, the what do you call it the strong economic basin for the sending of raw cocoa beans next to Colombia out there and next to other emerging markets. But where the challenge is and, and why the need for blockchain is that the coffee farmers of East Africa, they end up with the raw side of the deal quite often. I mean, we went out there on a delegation last year where we got to engage the Ethiopian prime minister, His Excellency Abi Ahmed, and we got to discuss with him how we are looking at deploying blockchain in his particular coffee, beef, and, and also dairy sectors. And on the coffee one, I'm not sure if the audience are aware, Phil, but currently coffee can retail for what? Anything from 3 to $8, depending on where you are buying it. But an Ethiopian coffee farmer is only going to get one cent one cent on average out of every coffee cup that's sold out there to say that that's unethical and unfair global trade will be an understatement because a farming coffee is no longer sustainable for east africa coffee farmers who are actually farming it at a loss and as a result when we deploy blockchain which is what we are working through we're just ticking a few boxes and tying some loose ends when we deploy it we will be able to police or monitor or audit that's coffee value chain to ensure that there are no unethical middlemen or brokers or trade financiers that are actually adding an inflationary effect 
onto that value chain and they are siphoning value at the expense of those at the first mile of the raw material. And that's actually, you find that, that the price of coffee keeps going up, but the Ethiopian farmers or East Africa farmers are none the better. Blockchain reveals all the moving parts from the raw coffee planting and also the, the what do you call the warehousing basically blockchain follows that coffee bean until it becomes a, a coffee cup and is able to advocate for value being sent downstream and upstream currently there's way too many silos way too many moving parts and way too many ledgers so when we decentralize the ledger we are ensuring that the weaker members of the value chain can as equally benefit as those C-suite executives that are really, really capitalizing on the coffee trade. And on the West Africa, 80% of the world's raw cocoa actually comes from Africa. 80% of the world's uh, raw ingredients for the chocolate comes from Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, and Nigeria. But with that being said, because of the manipulation of the movement of this chocolate ingredients, you find that it is beneficial more to the first economic countries that are actually producing and finishing the products more than it is for those poor uh, raw cocoa farmers that cannot even afford a chocolate for their children. Last but not least, Madagascar alone as a country globally is responsible for more than 80% of the world's raw vanilla pulp. However, Madagascar remains poor. Madagascar remains embattled in poverty even now as they are considering their post-pandemic future. We are seeing a scenario where blockchain as a trust machine, as a track and traceable input, and as a truth machine is now leveling the play field for all members of the respective value chains that you are deploying into. Uh, farmers growing, uh, let's say, cocoa, you know, cocoa yes, beans cocoa. before blockchain. How were they paid? If I'm a farmer growing uh, cocoa beans, how was I paid before? Let's go through the process. Yes. I grow the cocoa beans, all right? Yes. Then they go to where? Processing? Very good question. Now, they don't go to processing. I'm going to touch on the journey of those raw cocoa beans, and I'm going to actually add a twist. I'm going to touch on the maple syrup industry in Canada. But before that, let me come back to Africa. You see, I'm a farmer. I grow the raw cocoa beans. I go through the cycles. I cultivate. I am not even allowed to take my coffee beans to the market. What happens is there are some self-organized coffee unions in Africa. Those coffee unions, they act like consortiums on behalf of farmers, and they are the ones that deal with what we can call the coffee brokers, although they go by various names. It's the coffee brokers who've never set their foot on the farm that will actually come to Africa's shores. And mind you, there'll be about four to 12 brokers between the farm and the coffee union and the ship. So imagine Shadrach is sending his coffee to America, but already there's about 12 gentlemen that are not so gentlemanly that are actually siphoning value out of those raw co coffee beans. Now on a ship, it goes out there for warehousing out of Africa. Africa is not such a big consumer of coffee per se by global uh, standards, but is responsible for quite a significant raw material forwarding. The same applies to raw cocoa. So there are way too many middlemen. By the time it touches down in America, while it's out in the sea, it will be traded by so many hands while it's floating out there. But before it hits the warehouses, then it enters the processing, then pre-processing, 
post-processing, then the packaging, and then of course, it's a free for all, for all these coffee brands that are actually more like coffee uh, chain brands to now procure those. And then here, here is the, the kicker. Then those coffee chains will go like, we source ethically. But if they source ethically and there's way too many ledgers in the room, how do we know which ledger they are following? The same applies to those that are sourcing, uh, what do you call it, earth metals that end up in our automotives or those earth metals that end up as coltan. Coltan is a, is, a, is, a, is a raw material that ends up in our phones and our devices. So without a decentralized see-through supply chain, no brand in the world can actually with, immut with an immutable layer around their statement to say they're either indulging in ethical fashion, ethical tech, or ethical coffee supply chains. I understand that the farmers here are being taken advantage of yep, by these yep. brokers. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. That's right? correct. Now, the question is, I'm here in the United States of America. Why yep. do I care what's happening in your country? That's a good question. So for a number of reasons, while centered on that coffee and on the Canada side, there's also some maple syrup, self-organized unions that are actually manipulating the price of maple syrup. More on that later. Why should you care as a consumer or one who loves enjoying coffee? Whether I'm enjoying wine, whether I'm enjoying coffee, the ethicality of how it was sourced, it's very good for me as a consumer, even my ethical fashion. Why is it? It's because number one, we are wanting to live in a world or a future where human rights are not violated in the process of either sourcing my jacket or sourcing my wine or sourcing my coffee. The reason why that is so is because there's that age old principle that's very old school that you reap what you sow. So we don't wanna be sowing seeds that are contaminating any supply chains we do business with, with unethical trading conduct and we tend the other way. Because after all, at some point, coffee might either dry up as more and more farmers are shutting down and leaving the farming trade and are using their land for other crops. Now the coffee is gone. We will go back to that book, Who Moved My Cheese? So we don't want to ask later on who moved our coffee cup because we didn't notice as responsible consumers that responsible consumption begins with us, not the mega players in the value chain who will more than glad prioritize a profit on their books more than ethical trade. Doesn't Starbucks have their own growers or they buy it from these farmers? You know, interesting that you say that because Starbucks, among other coffee chain players, they have been, and they're not the only ones, I must admit, even in fashion, ethical fashion has been a thing for more than a decade now. We source ethically, we trade ethically, we pay off our coffee farmers equitably. But here's a question that I put out to Starbucks. How can you assure us as the consumers, because I go to Starbucks as well, how can you assure us as the consumers with a bulletproof statement that you are sourcing from specific farmers from a specific location through a specific set of trade rules? Because when you have too many ledgers, too many silos, anything happens whereby there are some, let's call them rogue coffee bags that are sipped into your supply chain and you yourself would not know. So unless it's immutable on the blockchain, unless it's decentralized, if me as a Starbucks client has to ask, where did this cup come from? Where did that coffee come from? And I, I actually have to go through maybe 10 different steps or 20 steps to find out I'm gonna give up on the way. I'm gonna give you an example with Walmart 
who actually developed their food traceability with the same technical partner we are using to build and finalize Coronet. Walmart had to find out with the food producers and supply chain players, where does to secure provenance from origin, which farm, which region, which items ended up on Walmart shelves. Why? They were not really looking at ethical sourcing, even though that's a spin-off. They were trying to future-proof Walmart from incurring losses with food recalls and food contaminations. Because now you don't know which batch of beef was contaminated, which batch of fruits. Now they reduced the tracking of where a parcel of mangoes just an edible lunch parcel of mangoes, where it came from, they reduced that finding out from two weeks of a laborious search to just two and a half seconds. So in two and a half seconds, you can actually interact with the QR code and it will reveal to you where those mangoes come from. That's the type of best practice we are bringing to other value chains here on, on the continent so that transparency and ease of doing good business, sustainable business, can become an everyday reality, not just fancy gadget for Walmart. The students uh, graduate college here, and they may be accounting majors, finance majors, economics majors, all right? And I'd be listening to this, and I'd say, all right, well, this is really an interesting thing that's happening because, yes, the farmers are getting really taken advantage of. But I'm not going to end up in Johannesburg, South Africa. Tell me why, why should I know this? I mean, let's assume I want to become a consultant, a management consultant, because that's a big area now, advisory services. Now, in order to do that, a lot of people become CPAs, maybe they become chartered accountants in your country, and then they get some type of niche and go into that area as consultants. Let's assume that's the case. I want to do that. Where am I ever going to come in contact with your organization? People are selfish. They don't really worry about your farmers. That's really it, isn't it? You know, in a perfect world, maybe uh, they would say, oh, my Starbucks makes all these profits or we have Seattle coffee. All right. Honestly, and I hate to say this, Americans say, what do I care that the people who are growing the beans are getting one cent. Is it one cent yeah. you said? Yes, one cent. Okay. One cent. Who's making the most money? The brokers or the brokers is it Starbucks? Who's in the chain? Yes. Yes. Tell me the farmer grows it. Yes. It sounds like he gets the least amount of the money from Absolutely. the gro- right. Then we have these brokers yep. who are supposed to represent the farmers. Absolutely. Do they it doesn't sound like they really represent the farmers. No, they don't. They don't. Uh, they are more in a cartel uh, dynamic. So yes. after the brokers take the coffee beans, whatever they do, where does yep. it go from there? Where does it go from there? goes on a ship. It goes straight to the ship. Well, then you yeah. have the shipping companies, all right? Hey, Absolutely. during this pandemic, God, the shipping companies' revenues have gone way up. Yep, yep. All right? Supply insurance. Uh, so then the shipping company gets a chunk of the money. Yep. And then it goes to, a specific, for example, coffee beans. We yep. have the farmer, we have the yep. broker, we have the shipping company. Yes. Now, where does the shipping company? They pick it up and where yep. do they ship it? All over the world? 
it will dock. It will dock at the coffee hubs of the world, be it Netherlands, Germany, America. It will dock according to where demand is, including China, wherever coffee is consumed. But the most premium locations are areas like Dubai, uh, America, and Europe. Those are the premium coffee hubs. China is coming on the grid a bit on the coffee side, even though China ships other materials from Africa. So when, such as does, when the shipping companies pick up the beans and ship yeah. them, and they get to their destination, wherever they're going, yeah, yeah, all right? Course, yeah. Are these different countries have representatives there? To follow? You know, Tell me how that works. You know, uh, what do you call it? There is a dynamic called micro supply chains, meaning an entity like Starbucks is so sizable that it actually runs its own micro supply chain. It's not uh, sourcing from external brokers. It's got its own internal brokers. So it depends whether we're dealing with a chain coffee house like Starbucks, or we are dealing with an emerging or mid-sized coffee brand like the alternative others. So it will depend whether they're running their own micro supply chain or they're shipping from a middleman of a middleman. And when it docks, then it gets distributed across the coffee brand. So that's coffee. But you asked a very great question. You said, if you're a CPA graduate or a chartered accountant, why should you care? There's a reason I should care, not necessarily about the coffee, not necessarily about the coffee, even though that could help you through your studies. You shouldn't necessarily care only about where the coffee comes from. Here's why you should care about blockchain if you're entering the finance field. You see, the finance field is right now undergoing reforms around the fourth industrial revolution, whether the furniture is being moved around by artificial intelligence or by blockchain, but there's some housekeeping happening. What does that mean for you as a new entrant to the industry or as a seasoned player in the industry? Here's what it means. Let's pause a little bit. In the age old, good old days, accounting used to be done on a physical ledger, but maybe due to fire and due to other things, the industry segued into spreadsheets. That's a bit of a reform within the sector. Now, spreadsheets were also a bit cumbersome. Email them to me, I email them to you. Then the industry segued into software as a service, meaning your enterprise, uh, your ERP, your, your, all these big softwares run by SAP and others, they were enabling especially large enterprises to more consistently be able to handle large volumes of kind of like audit, uh, audit conduct from accounting and audit. Now we are at a point where there are just so many moving parts across software as a service and ERP uh, systems that if you look in our review mirror, there has been all types of scandals that have been hitting the accounting profession. Even back in the Enron days and this Watergate and Oilgate, all these gates and all these scandals, they are not without the audit profession, especially dropping the ball, saying the books are this way instead of the books being that way. The only reason why there's still some blind spots or that can be manipulated or exploited by the powers that be. And look, there are not many people. The finance industry has got some great, great people. But when a few rotten apples start to give the industry a bad name, then perhaps the deployment of blockchain at large scale, where the books are not going to be cookable anymore. I know that's not an English word, where the books are going to be immune to manipulation and the books are going to be immune in the best interest of shareholders and in the best interest of the public. So I think that the audit profession particularly needs to be rescued from human manipulation and too large a room for human involvement, whereby man and machine have to work side by 
aside without displacing one another in the best interest of the reforms and ethical conduct of the industry. So whether you're talking coffee or you're talking ethics, blockchain as a leveling of the play field is really coming to a cinema near you. The blockchain has its own code of ethics? Uh, blockchain is a vehicle that helps to implement existing code of ethics by collapsing silos into one decentralized okay. ledger so that the regulators can see the same ledger where else shareholders and exco and various tiers of the profession can see the same ledger without people hogwashing any part of the ledger at any given moment. So blockchain itself is not the messianic rescuer of the profession, but blockchain provides the field where different players can actually hold each other accountable on one decentralized platform rather than all these silos that exist across the world that gives us blind spots and also some ceiling to what we can do with our ethics. Thank you so much for listening to Jaeger CPA Review and more. As a token for our appreciation for your listenership, we'd like to offer you 10% off your next purchase with Jaeger CPA Review. Save between $50 to $150 with code PODCAST10. If you'd like more information, look us up on JaegerCPAReview.com. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, please rate and review on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to you tuning in next time.